Good morning. Excellent. Everybody doing well? Yes? No? This is Elmo. Does everybody remember Elmo? Not the Elmo, not that guy, right? Everybody remember this? Good stuff. It was funny because some people were coming in and Rhonda went to go give a handout and they said, oh, no, I don't. She said, no, you need the handout today. (laughs) I like it. Adamant, persistent, good stuff. It's good. Tell you what, let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for uh, the amazing written word that we have before us, not just to tell us about salvation, being saved, knowing Jesus, uh, having eternal life, all those things extremely important, but to bring us back to uh, a moment of brass tacks, a place where uh, we become familiar again uh, with, with the history that we've heard so many times, and yet uh, to hopefully see it anew that the Holy Spirit would impress it anew upon our hearts, and that, Father, we would be changed because of it. So we pray, Father, uh, for your illumination of the Word today uh, on our minds and on our hearts. Help us to think critically. And I pray, Father, we apply this, Lord, and it it lasts us way beyond Monday, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you notice in your handout, you have two things. You have your regular insert paper that we normally hand out every week. But you also have this handout that I have here on the overhead. And let me tell you what this is real quick. This is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, from what is known as the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The Holman Christian Standard Bible just recently went through a revision uh, to its detriment, I believe, but I'm not an authority on that. Uh, But this is the version before they revised it. And it was known as parallel with the New American Standard Bible, the New King James Version, is one of the best word-for-word translations that was out there in English at the time. So I wanted to just expose you to it. We're all on the same page using that. I do still encourage you to have your Bible out to see some different things about it. Uh, We'll help you study along. But I hope you have your pen ready because we're going to go through, we're going to mark this up, and we're going to see some good things. First, we need to go through our foundational truths. What are the foundational things that we've learned? Number one, the Bible is God's self-revelation. The very book that we hold, the very book that we have a plethora of within our homes, and we have sitting back here on the shelves, Bibles. America is richly blessed to have so many Bibles, okay? But notice this, God is the eternal sovereign creator. All that he creates is good. Everything that God creates is always consistent with his character. He does not deviate. In fact, one attribute we haven't really talked about yet is the immutability of God. Does anybody know what we talk about when we talk about the immutability of God? Doesn't that mean he doesn't speak? No, that's mute. That's not the same thing. Immutability, do we know? What is it? Unchanging. He doesn't change. You say, well, wait a second. What's going on here in Genesis? Remember, the Bible's a progressive revelation. When you start in Genesis and you start working through Exodus, Leviticus, because we read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, don't we? I'm doing a Sunday school class this fall over Deuteronomy, just letting you know. (laughs) And everybody's up to leave, exactly. (laughs) But I promise you, it's going to be okay. 
Uh, but when you go through that, the more that the Bible progresses forward, the more that you learn about God as he goes. It's not that he changes, it's that he understands that we can't handle everything about him at one time. In fact, we can't even handle what we have about him, right? And so he's got to reveal it to us carefully. So everything he does is good. Everything is consistent with his character. Man, us, we are responsible. And we are held to a moral standard that God sets. Why? He is the creator. We are the creation or his creatures. We are automatically under him, subservient to him, answerable to him. But the one that we unveiled last week and that we're going to see its manifestation today, sin originates within a person. You remember the description of Lucifer? How beautiful he was. Stones, gold, brilliant. And then what happened? Until unrighteousness was found in you. That's where it originates. And so we are going to see those things today. So let's look at the top of our pages here. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now pause for a second. And I appreciate dialogue. If for no other reason, it gives me an opportunity or an excuse to preach longer. Okay? Is there anything about this sentence that doesn't set well with you? Besides, I don't like snakes, okay? (laughs) Besides that, is there anything about this first verse here, this first sentence that doesn't set well? Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Is there anything that doesn't set well? What do you think? Did the Lord make sin? No, sin originates within. And if he made sin... Or even if he encouraged sin, it would be contradictory to his character and you could not trust him. So remember, if we boil it all down to brass tacks, God's character must stay intact, always. That's why you lay that foundation. Because when you start to get into all these other things, when you, especially when you move into the New Testament and you see a lot of development of doctrine, you come back to the idea of, wait a second, God's not going to contradict himself here, especially in character. It really clears up a lot of fog. It's really good. So... We we were concerned about that. Why? Because we deal with this idea of the serpent being cunning of the wild animals. Did the Lord God make everything? Yes, he did. So we don't have a problem there. But the idea is the cunningness of the serpent. Now, here's a question. Why the serpent? Why did he make the serpent? If the serpent's going to mess up, why even make him? Ooh, this gets into a dangerous conversation. That's like a whole other sermon, isn't it? We'll have to talk about that sometime. Needed a fall guy? (laughs) Hey, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Right? It's almost like he's reluctant. But think about this real quick. Interesting thing. In fact, you can hold your notes up and compare this, okay? This right here. Now the serpent. Anytime that you're studying the word, observe, 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 and you want to mark out key words. Key words that draw your attention, that you think you might need other understanding, that bring questions to your mind. You say, what in the world is going on here? This word right here is actually spelled like this if you were to transliterate the Hebrew. In fact, I've got it for you down there on your paper. But it's like this, and here's the reason why. In 
C-H-S-H. Now, what's the problem with that? Why can't you pronounce it? No vowels. Because in the original Hebrew, there are no vowels. Everybody's doing the best they can with the, with the vowels that they have, adding them in to figure out what these things mean. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, is how certain can we be of what's being unfolded? Are you saying our Bibles are wrong? No. Because the people that have spent the hard time putting together the English version of the Bible weren't sitting here to lead people astray. Nobody sets out with the intent of messing up the Word of God for people like that when they're, when they're translating. But here's an interesting thing. Look at your paper. Satan manifests himself to Eve. The Hebrew word is nakash. Hebrew does not originally have vowels, so the consonants would be N-C-H-S-H. The meaning could vary. Nakash, like we have, meaning snake. That's the noun form of this. But if you were to put this in and insert vowels, nakash, in the verb form, it means the diviner. Interesting. Now here's a question. Would that in some way correspond with Satan? In some way, yes. He's a divine being. He's not a perfect being, but he's a celestial, what would be considered a divine being. What else is interesting is, is that if you use this noun for serpent right here, but you understand it as an adjective, it's describing the next one. Exact same vowels that you have, meaning copper or bronze. The idea is shining. Now, what did we see in Isaiah 14? What did we see in Ezekiel 28? He's a shining one, isn't he? He's covered with jewels. In fact, and I wrote it down because I can't remember it right now, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. even Satan manifests himself as what? A messenger of light, an angel of light. He's not the deviled ham guy. He's not Al Pacino like we talked about last week. It's probably the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, and that's what makes it so tricky, okay? So is it a snake? Yeah, probably. Does it have something about it that doesn't catch Eve by surprise? Have you ever wondered why that is? Look what it says. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit of the, uh, eat from the tree of the garden? And Eve said, ah, is that what happens? How many of you hanging out in your garden and a snake comes up and talks to you, you're like, hey, what's up? Want to come in? No. Why isn't Eve scared? Why hasn't she got some sort of reaction? Have you noticed she's just kind of like, hey, what's going on? They're not scared of anything at that point. That's what's interesting. They don't know fear, do they? They're in a perfect environment. Could it be that Satan's presence there is possibly a shining being? Isn't unusual for her because before the fall, perfect people have no problem seeing angels. Could that be? Mm, uh, mm, maybe. Challenging your thinking, isn't it? Makes you think a little bit differently about it because she's not freaking out. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that's the scariest thing about this passage. Look what Satan says. He said to the woman, yeah, he's talking. That's the scary thing. Where did he get all those teeth and vocal cords from, right? But he's talking. Now, here's the thing. We know that God can make an animal talk if need be, right? He can choose to reveal himself. We know that from Balaam's donkey, right? But whenever that happens and Balaam's donkey speaks, is it slanderous toward God? 
No. You think that God is making this snake speak? It would be contrary to his character, wouldn't it? See how that works? You always come back to that foundational point. So what do we have here? Get this. Did God really say, Mom, can I go outside? No. Now, I don't know that you really mean that, Mom. I know that I can dabble my pinky toe outside and eventually slip through and I'm good to go. Is that what that means? What happens whenever you bring in the, did you really mean that? Did you really say that? What are you doing? Doubt, questioning. Pause. Who created language? God. I mean, what is important about language with God? What did we see from the very beginning? It's how he does what? It's how he creates. He speaks, and that which was not is in a moment. It doesn't argue. It doesn't fall to the wayside. It doesn't have any issues. It just is. It happens. Think. Think about what Satan is saying here. Now, Eve, are you telling me the one who created language, are you sure he got communication right? Is God a garble mouth? Is he mumbler? No. Sometimes we don't like what he says, right? But notice what he's doing here. Eve, are you sure you got the message right? Boy, don't, I mean, don't, let's not pretend. That happens to us a lot, doesn't it? Are you sure it's what God said? Yeah, but it's not looking as good as what you're doing. Notice what's going on. Did God really say you can't eat from, the tree, from any tree in the garden? Now, here's a question. Is that what God said? No. What did God say? You shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's our problem word here? Where's the lie that's being suggested? It's right here. Any tree. Right? Now, here's the terrible thing. Eve bites the bait. Right? Probably the best thing would have been, get behind me, Satan! Right? Eve was a little charismatic. Don't hold it against her. It's okay. She knew more about the spirit than we did. But think about it. Get behind me, Satan! That would have been the best thing. And she move on. But look what she says. The woman said to the serpent... Why am I talking to a serpent? Notice she didn't say that. So she's probably familiar with this situation. The manifestation of this being wasn't unusual to her. She's not shocked anywhere in the text. We may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden. Now watch this, verse 3. But, here's your transition. About the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden... Uh Uh-oh, what is that? Why is that significant? Anybody remember when we looked at the prophets? Why, 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 why? What? It's something that God actually said. When you say, well, God said, you better get it right. You better represent him faithfully. You better say exactly what he said because the ramifications are cataclysmic. And we're dealing with it every day. What was the problem? First, it was miscommunication. Miscommunication took place. 
Someone got messed up somewhere. Now, what if I started here? What's your name, ma'am? David. What if I started with David and I whispered something in his ear? And just had him pass it on. And by the end of our time together, it got over here to Cindy. What do you think that would look like? I really like double cheeseburgers at Culver's. I don't know if I can afford my car insurance. Right? You know. You played this game before. That's how we go. And you've seen kids play it, right? But that's just how messed up communication can get over that time period. Now, here's the problem. There's only three people hanging out. Yahweh, Adam, and Eve. This is Satan's introduction to us for the first time. It only took three people to get it wrong, and I'm pretty sure the first person was clear. You see how that works? Man, are we a messed up lot, man. We are. Notice that. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to get to that. Don't steal my thunder. Don't steal my thunder. We're going to get to that. I worked hard and studied hard this week. Thought hard, prayed hard. It is. It is. It is. Now notice what she says. God said, here's what God said. You shall not eat it. Did God say that? Yeah. He did say it. Don't eat of it. Don't eat of that tree. Or touch it. No. He didn't say that. In fact, you wonder where Adam is at this time? He's hanging one of those lovely tree swings. <laughs> hey, baby, this is the sacred tree. I figure we can use it for what it's worth. Can't do anything else. Right? Adam loves Eve. Carve it on in there with a big heart. Could they have done all that to the tree? They could have chopped the tree down and had s'mores. You see what I'm saying? What was the problem? Don't eat of the tree. Where do you think miscommunication took place with Eve? She was embellishing. That's the thing. You ever talk to somebody and you hear them tell a story and you're sitting there going, that ain't exactly how it went down, right? I'm sure when I tell stories, my wife's like, that ain't exactly how it went down. I'm like, I'm a minister from God. Yes, it is, (laughs) right? I have to play that card sparingly because I know that I'll pay for it later. But, but, where do you think this got messed up? Well, who, who are the parties involved? Yahweh? He mess it up? I know, no, why? Consistent in character. Eve's already messed up. We see that. So who's that leave? No, let, let's, let's, let's call him what we're really thinking now. The husband. That's where that leaves, right? The husband is the one that messed it up. So notice, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will. Now pause for a second. Eve gets the gist of it, doesn't she? She gets the overall weight of the situation. And I don't think that she would use a word like dying if she didn't understand it. If we do this, we will be separated from God. 
Does she get it? I think she does. I think she understands the weight of it. She has an answer. You know, we don't see, and the woman said, uh, uh, mm, uh, mm, I'll get back to you. That doesn't happen. She's got it right then and there. But because she is so quick, because she had stepped into the bear trap, it got messed up somewhere along the way. We've added something to God's Word. I deal with adding things to God's Word from other people every day. Every day. Every day of my ministry. For the past 18 years, I have dealt with that. It is crazy how anxious people are to add to God's Word. And in ways that really don't benefit them, it ends up hurting them. It's amazing. So notice what happens here. Here's what Satan says. No! Right? And here's what we're going to say. We're going to say, liar! Right? Liar! That's what it is. It looked too good writing it up there, but you get the gist. Is he lying? Notice where he says, no, you will not die. Hold it. What did God say? Let's go back. Genesis 2. Chapter 2. Let's look at 16 to get a little bit of context here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. There's your freedom. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Is God clear? Everybody see where the mess up is, the hiccup is in communication. So notice, no, you will not die. No, here's what he's saying. Genesis 2, 17 is not true. That's what Satan is saying. What God said previously, that's not real. He didn't mean that. He was just messing with you. You ever known parents that lie to their kids and try to keep them out of doing things? You ever heard that? You, know, you don't want to go in that room at night because there's monsters in there. Does that help them in any way? No, because when they get about 10 years older, they look at their parents and they're like, you're a liar. Does that build consistent parenting? No, parents, don't lie to your kids. Tell them the truth. If you go in there, I'm whipping your butt, period. <laughs> Settles it. And then follow through. Make it the truth, okay? Come on. Make it the truth. <laughs> Preach, brother, yes. Everybody's getting out their glory fans now. <laughs> so, so notice this. Apologize. Let's go back to, to our, little, our little pages here so I can give you the fill in the blank. I forget about fill in the blank, right? Genesis 3, 1b, Satan questions, here's what it is, God's word. He questions God's word. God, who designed language and always speaks truth and always consistent in his character, got marble mouth somewhere, got, got gurgly mouth. He was not, he's, not, he's not flat out with us. So now watch this. Verse 4, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God, now, now pay attention to this. Because Satan is telling Eve what he knows about God. Okay? Now think about this. Think about it. Satan is committing a major, major slander of character here. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
Now how? This might not necessarily be a lie, because watch what he says. He clarifies it. Like God, knowing what? Good and evil. Do they know evil right now? No, they have no capacity for it right now. They, or they, let's say they don't have any experience for it. We know they have capacity for it because they're getting ready to fall into it, right? But notice the interesting thing here. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Everybody see this like God? Satan uses this word. Elohim. And what's interesting is, is that if you research the Septuagint, everybody know what the Septuagint is? The Septuagint is the Greek translation between the Testaments that took place of the Old Testament so that it would come out of Hebrew and into Greek for people to read. So it was 70 guys that were picked, 70 scholars that translated all 39 books of the Old Testament into Greek. And when you go through and you see whenever Paul and Jesus and John are quoting from the Old Testament, they're quoting from the Greek translation of it. They're quoting from the Septuagint. If you research the Septuagint and you find out how they translated it here, they actually translate it as gods. Little g, O-D-S. Everybody remember when we talked about the Elohim, the lowercase gods, the divine council, all these things, that they are the creatures, that God is the creator, and that they rule over certain governments and provinces of creation. Some of you are completely confused. Go back and listen to the series. It's okay. Let me know. I can give you a paper on it. But in doing so, notice that the Septuagint at that time, those scholars in that day chose to, to translate it that way. Anybody familiar with the NET Bible, the NET Bible, New English Translation Bible? You can get it online for free. You can read it. Uh, a lot of scholars invested in that. In fact, I think they were from Dallas Seminary. But invested in that, they decided to translate this as divine beings. That's how they translated it. God doesn't want you to be like divinity. That's the problem here. He's withholding this from you so you won't know. Does this sound like uh, God's withholding something good? Does it sound like that he's got the drawer full of candy and he doesn't want to share? No, you don't think so? It's interesting, isn't it? Let's read it one more time. In fact, God knows that when you eat your eyes will be open. They weren't blind. That's not what that means. Eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now we have this. Sometimes this is a dirty word, but I don't think it is. What's he going to write? Choice. Now you got a choice to make. It's a hard question to grasp because they don't know evil. You see what I'm saying? I don't know that. Do I need to know that? Could I know that? Should I know that? Why not know that? Maybe. But here's the thing. I don't think that was the goal. It doesn't seem like Eve's like, well, if I don't know evil, my arsenal is incomplete and I am stupider for it. That's not what she's getting at here. In fact, here's what's amazing about this. Remember, God is communicating this to Moses, right? Moses is writing down the first five books. And so God actually gives a glimpse into the motivations of Eve, which is very great. Having seen this on the surface, we might not get it unless Eve spilled the beans about what she was thinking. And since she's a woman, that would have took about 45 minutes. But (laughs) 
Mitch, can you take that off the recording? (laughs) (laughs) Baby, I love you. All right. But God, in his grace, divinely inspires the word where we can read it in half a sentence, okay? But here's what we see. Pay close attention because what we saw previously revealed and what we see, the mess-ups here, are getting ready to click into place for you, okay? Look what he says. Then, uh uh-oh, here's our action. The woman, number one, mark your verbs, saw that the tree was good for food and... Two, delightful to look at, and it was, three, desirable for obtaining wisdom. Three things here. Imagine, it's, it's giving us a glimpse inside her brain. She knows what God said or what Adam told her God said, right? Right? She's talking to this being that she's not surprised about being talking to. That's terrible grammar. Whatever. Yeah, you got it. Move on. <laughs> but when she's faced with this choice, we now get a glimpse inside what is going on. Pay attention. Number one, she saw the tree was good for food. Well, it's edible. It looks like everything else we got going on here. So there's nothing odd about it. This isn't like the worm tree and everything else is good. Notice number two, delightful to look at. Man, it sure is a pretty tree. Boy, those are the biggest, reddest, shiniest, juiciest. In fact, when I poke it, they just gush. It's great. I want to eat it. It's delightful to look at. But notice the next one. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Everybody still got your Bibles open? Excellent. Go back to chapter two. Look at verse nine. See what you find. Chapter 2, verse 9. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is, mark it, pleasant to the sight. What does your translation say if you got something different? Pleasing to the eye. Did we see that in in what we just saw here in 3.6? Okay, so that lines up. Okay, now watch. And good for food. What's your say? Good for food. Does it line up with what we saw in 3.6? Uh-oh. We're getting ready to see the problem here. But I also want to show you something else. What's the problem? What's, which one? What is it? Right here. It never says in chapter 2, verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 9, was attainable, was desirable to obtain wisdom. Now, here's the thing. If you were to look at at the span of this garden, let's say you're up on a hill and you're you're checking it all out, every tree is good for food. Every tree is a delight to the eyes. They all hold those common characteristics together. It wasn't that this one was Granny Smith apples and all the rest of them were Macintoshes. You're not having that problem here. All of them are mm mm-mm good, right? That's the good stuff. But notice the problem isn't, get this man, application time, the problem is not out here. The problem is here. Desire, what's that? The problem is this. Desirable for obtaining wisdom. There was something within Eve that just had to have it. 
Now, take your Bible, turn with me to James 1. And if you are interested in a Sunday night James study, see Chuck. He said, we need to handle all the details. I said, great. So I'm sending people to you, brother. Now write down your name, because if you don't, he'll forget it. <laughs> I have the microphone and you don't, so. James 1, we read it last week, we're going to read it again because it's applicable in both situations. The idea here is desire, desire, right? So check it out, here we go. James 1 verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, pause, is Eve being tempted? Has she sinned? No, she hasn't sinned yet. Now watch this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Does God have anything to do with her temptation? Not a thing. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But, there's our transition, each person, you and me, Adam and Eve, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desires. Notice what it says. Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. In other words, if you don't head off the temptation at that moment, if you don't take every thought, because that's really what a desire is, if you don't take every thought captive unto Christ at that moment, it blossoms into the wonderful bear trap of sin, is the idea. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, when sin plays itself out and matures, it leads to what? death and what does death mean separation think about it man gosh it's heavy and we all deal with it every day every day eve is no different she desires in obtaining wisdom there's something she's lacking and she wants it notice it's not just i need to know it she wants it so watch this so she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband. Now, we're going to write this in. Where you been? Right? Where you been? Because this says a lot about a husband and his failure to protect his wife. Uh-oh, everybody get your toes out. Think about this. Did Adam come strolling up? Like, sorry, baby, I love you so much. I was carving her names in that tree. Like, I know that's not true because we're at that tree. Here. Was he one of those guys that just came home after a hard day of plowing and he was like, I eat whatever you put in front of me. Is that the problem? No. Where do you think he was this whole time? He's probably standing there. And he wasn't. I don't even know. Where was he? What's he doing? He's doing what every guy does. She's talking and he's going. Yep. <laughs> right? 
The reason why we laugh is because it's so true. <laughs> and here's the thing. If that's the way he acted before the fall, you shouldn't hold it against us. <laughs> the text doesn't say that, does it? We've got to be true to God's word. Chances are he's just standing there. Because it doesn't say, and then she walked down the way and handed him this. No, it just says, right? And you know they were married because they both ate off the same piece. Right, drinking after one another. Oh, that's gross. Stop it. You love each other. That's how you know. So notice that. Here it is. Take it. Why wasn't he husbanding at that moment? I mean, wasn't he supposed to be working the garden to work it and keep it? And remember we talked about keeping it was guarding it? Was he so worried about the garden that he forgot to protect his wife in the midst of it? I mean, Adam has failed in communication. In fact, I wrote it down. I, was so, I told my wife, I said, I've read this passage probably 100,000 times since I've been a believer. I mean, over and over and over, because you can never exhaust it. And I told her, I said, I'm amazed at what I unearthed from just these seven verses. I could sit and observe this forever. I bet we could come up with enough observations where we would start in this corner and start writing on the walls and just go down. I'm not kidding you. We could fill this entire room up with observations just from these seven verses. It's insane how much truth and how much reality is packed into this. Here's some things I wrote down. And real quick, here's my sheet that I've been messing with, right? You haven't seen my Bible on it either. It's pretty marked up. But here's some things I wrote down besides where you've been. Adam failed in communication. He fails in prevention. Sin prevention should have been his goal. He fails in protection. Just let any shining thing come up and talk to your wife? That's weird. He failed in maintaining the course. In fact, what did she do? She ate and then she did what? Who's leading there? He failed to lead. He didn't want to be alone. Was that it? So he received it. He's like, baby, you in trouble. Oh, well. What's he dealing with there? What's the choice? The choice is what? The choice is not what God said versus what Satan said, is it? No. See, that's what's interesting. Satan actually doesn't play as big of a part in this as we want to. He just kind of came along and tried to get the spark going and the fuse lit itself, didn't it? What did God say? Or where's my wife leading me? What's my wife telling me to do? Everybody see why it's so, it's so important from the beginning. Husbands, be leaders. If you're a leader, you lead. That's what you do. Lead, protect, watch out, make the wise decision, make the hard decision. The, the best thing Adam could have done at this moment was smacked her across the mouth. I'm serious. And that was to knock this fruit out of her mouth so that she didn't swallow it. Now, is the, is the fruit power? Is the fruit got magic powers? No. But the idea is, is don't sin. Now, why do I say it that way? Let me ask you the question. How serious do you think sin is? What does sin do? It separates you from God. Now, is God powerful? Absolutely. How powerful is sin? Not as powerful as God because God overcomes sin. But when we talk about the reality of truth, righteousness, all that is good, all that is holy, all that is set apart, 
all of these churchy words that we kind of throw around but need to dwell more soundly upon. And we think that sin comes in and just and cuts it into pieces. Separated from God. Separated from God. Separated from God. Some of you have lost spouses. Was that painful? Okay. Separated from God. That's how dangerous sin is. And what's he do? Takes and eats. Now here's the trigger. Then, the eyes of both of them were opened. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but notice here what Satan said. Up here. Right here. See, that's the interesting thing. When Satan comes to tempt us, his lies always have truth peppered in. Always. He knows that you won't believe an out-and-out lie. You're created in the image of God. You're a little bit too smart for that. But here's the thing. If he can get the truth woven in there and then slowly start tugging away, we'll chase. He'll get us. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. Uh-oh. We got something interesting here. This word, naked. In the Hebrew, if we transliterated it, it is E-Rom. It means bare, naked, or if you want to say the slang, buck naked. <laughs> Kentucky translation, <laughs> naked, and there's probably a apostrophe in there, so naked, 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 naked. naked. Eram is the word. Bear. Nothing. Now, does anybody remember why this is significant? Does everybody remember two weeks ago? Pick up your Bibles. Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both what? Naked. Naked. And were not ashamed. What did I tell you that the Hebrew word was here? Anybody remember? Anybody write it down? I told you to write it down. Everybody in here. Did you not have your pen? What is it? Aram. And what did it mean? No clothes, but lightly covered. Something happened. In the garden, before there was sin introduced, they had no clothes on, but there was a covering that they experienced. I have a friend from Pennsylvania named Anthony Badger. And it was funny because he was actually a freshman at Dallas whenever Pastor Steve was a senior. Pastor Steve brought in his yearbook that year and showed me Anthony back then. Whoa, what a babe. Anyway, he's written a paper on this about what this might possibly be, and I made copies of it and put it out there next to the big free sign for you guys, if you want to read it. But what he believes is that before sin, Adam and Eve had a covering of glory because they were sinless. There was something about them, and the argument that he makes is that whenever we are resurrected bodily off of this earth, being at the rapture, 
that we are going to receive bodies that have been changed so that they can actually withstand the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've got to be glorified bodies. They are going to be our bodies in glory. And so what he is actually talking about in his paper is, is that that resurrection and that glorification that we experience being in his presence once again, without shame and guilt and sin, all of it's gone. Glorification, third tense of salvation. We are saved from the presence of sin completely. In doing so, he has actually restored us back to the pre-sin state that we originally held. In fact, some people actually believe that what they were covered with at this moment was the Holy Spirit. And when they sin, the Holy Spirit stepped back. Now, is that true? Man, I don't know that. But I tell you what, when you put the whole scope of the Bible together and you click it into place, it makes a lot of sense. They lost something. They lost something at that moment. Now, here's what's amazing. Did Eve eat first? Yeah? And then Adam ate. And then notice it took a moment. And both of them at the same time saw each other like they've never seen each other before. And it wasn't, what's up? That wasn't it. It was, and get this, had they ever known shame before? Had they ever known fear before? Were they ever scared of God before? See, man, even lost people hide their sin. Everybody that abuses drugs, why not do it out in the open for everybody to enjoy? Because it's wrong. Everybody that's having sex before marriage, why not let everybody be privy to that? Because it's wrong. Because there's something inside of us that testifies to what God has established as true and false. And we try to suppress that truth. So what is the solution? There's got to be a solution. Adam and Eve, for the first time in their life, have a problem, and we need a solution. Who's got an answer? Who's got an answer? Now, who's the fix-it person in the relationship? In the relationship. Adam probably is, right? Now, ladies, you know this from experience. Baby, what's wrong? She tells you, well, what you need to do is, right? The best thing you can do at that moment is grab a shovel and just start digging your grave, man. It really is. Because that's not what she wanted. That's not what you should have done. Just dig it and just go ahead and lay down and cover yourself up. You're, you're done. But here's the thing. Adam probably had the solution, but Eve had the skill. That's usually how, you know, baby, I got an idea. Here's how you do it, right? That's usually how relationships work. So look. So they sewed fig leaves together. And made loincloths for themselves. It's the best they could do. In fact, got your paper? Look on the back of your little handout here. Go a little bit of the way down. The result is covering up, suppressing the truth. What's the truth? God, we've eaten of this and we weren't supposed to, and we're completely exposed for everyone to see. That's the truth of this situation. What did they do? Here's what they did. This unnerving to anybody? I should do it like this. Yeah. 
Now imagine. Think, think real quick. Think what they're doing. I mean, imagine you're sitting there watching this, right? He'll never know. Does everybody see that when sin entered the picture, God consciousness left the mind? What did they start doubting about God? His attributes. Didn't we talk about how God knows everything? He's omniscient. He'll never know. In fact, what we're going to see in two weeks is, don't they hide? He's omnipresent. He'll never find us. We'll go over here by, behind the rock of Cindy and they'll never know. <laughs> you see how absurd this is? Very important point to get on this. When we are wrong. And we don't want to be exposed. These fig leaves are the best religion that we can come up with to try to make ourselves right with God. This is the best you can do. The best you can do is to take an already created thing and try to appease the Creator. You know what that's called? Idolatry. That's what that is. It's idolatry. It is taking something that is already made, and covering yourself in an extent to say, you know what, everything's good now. It's good. We're okay. We can move on like it never happened. Let's just push it to the past. Let's don't talk about it. It's okay. Did this solve anything? No. In fact, here's the amazing thing. In our lives, when we try to cover up these things and not rely on what God has provided, we actually create more stuff for him to undo. And anybody know what the covering really does? The covering doesn't, it doesn't cover up our nudity or let's say our blatantness of our sin. What it actually does is it serves to start to harden the heart. It makes us less receptive to God. It causes us to become so callous where we're saying, ah, I just don't want to hear that right now. Somebody genuinely comes along that loves us. You ever tried to encourage somebody just don't want to hear it? I guarantee you that if you search long enough, you're going to find fig leaves everywhere that the Lord is going to have to take apart piece by piece by piece in order to get this person to the bare point of finally saying, God, without you, I have nothing. God, without you, it's impossible. God, I'm broke. I need to just admit it. The bottom of your sheet here. Anything we conjure our own, uh, sorry, anytime we conjure our own covering or seek to cover up the truth, we demonstrate unbelief. The prime enemy of God is unbelief. Why? Because everything rests upon his word. What did God say? Was he clear? Let that be the end of it. Some of us look back at this story and we're like, gosh, Eve, what are you doing? Adam, what are you doing? And the reason why we're doing that is because it's a Monday, we're stuck in traffic, nobody gave us coffee, we got to go to work, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> this all could have been solved if you just would have believed what God said. Let's not get so high on our 21st century horse that we look down the mouth of people back then. I guarantee you that you will find times throughout your week where you're trying to do this all over the place. 
Sometimes we have people that virtually walk around like this just to cover whatever. Tom, you would probably need this. <laughs> We're all hoping that Tom will do this. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But get this. This is the essence of religion. This is what religion does. Religion says, guess what? You're, you got a problem. You're in a bad way. We all are, right? We got to do that in order to make everybody feel good. We're not on a high horse. We're all in a bad way. And so if you just get baptized, you'll be all right. Well, see this aisle right here? If you, just, if you just walk this aisle, if you just join this church, if you just confess everything that you ever did wrong, well, if you just put things in your path so you don't act like that anymore. Listen to me very clearly. The gospel is never about what you do. The only thing that you and I bring to God is the very sin we need to be saved from. Nothing of merit. No works. Jesus Christ takes our pitiful attempts at religion. What is religion? Religion is earning your own salvation. That's what it is. He takes our works righteousness that we're trying to conform here and he has to get it out of the way so that you can finally see him in all of his glory of dying on a cross as an innocent man and shedding his blood, telling us clearly, which sadly a lot of churches and gospel tracts have gotten wrong. I've been dealing with the gospel tract people this week. Where is the work? The works, well, that's my work. Behind that. The work is on the cross. Can you do anything with the cross? No, that's all his work. Is his work sufficient? Is it perfect? Is it complete? Where we fit in? You realize, here's what salvation is. Salvation is your response to the gospel, to the cross. I'm a guilty sinner, and I can pull everything that I need to in order to try to cover myself up. It's not going to work. Jesus comes in, being sinless and sufficiently deals with all of it. I will take your sin and you can have my righteousness, the very righteousness of God, the only kind of righteousness that is acceptable before him where you can stand in his presence. And he exchanges it, or the, or the technical word is imputes it to us. How have you responded to his work? If you have said, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that's true. Guess what? That's called faith. Faith is you responding to hearing about the work of Christ. Faith is a conviction. I am convinced. Now, here's the thing that he promises. God loves the world. God gave Jesus that whoever behaves in him. You sure? That's why I've been reading these gospel tracts. I wrote these people a letter. Man, me and Mary are going to have fun tomorrow. <laughs> that whoever believes, don't get it wrong, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, will not be separated from God, but will have what? Eternal life. Here's the quiz, man. 
How long is eternal life? Forever life. Charles Ryrie said, if eternal life isn't forever, somebody gave it the wrong name. And once you have it, you can't lose it. Why is that? Because you didn't do a thing to earn it. This idea of Christians deserving anything needs to be thrown out of our vocabulary completely. Why? Love it. Love it. You ready? Because it's all of grace. It is taking a group of people who deserve absolutely nothing and giving them absolutely everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? This is tragic, isn't it? Isn't this tragic? But aren't you thankful that on the other side of this, we don't have to look back at this as like the, oh. Instead, we look back at Jesus as the, yes. That's an upstart revival, man. Let's pray. God, thank you for supplying for a people who are easily led astray, easily trying to cover up in religion, easily trying to make ourselves something that we're not, easily lying, easily buying into lies. Father, such a helpless people, such a helpless person. Father, we need you every day. And thank you that Jesus holds your hand and holds our hand and bridges the gap of our sad deficiency. He is all-sufficient. He is preeminent. He is wonderful. He is the master. He is the creator. He is the beautiful savior. We are nothing apart from him, and we are everything in him because of who he is. We thank you, God, for being faced with this incredible problem that has separated your creation from you, and yet you overcome it maintain your character and you are able to justify sinners you're so full of love father when we seek for opportunities to conjure our own religion conjure our own righteousness sow our own fig leaves father help us to lay those down and to crawl up into your lap to lay our heads upon your chest and pour these things out before you. You're the only one who can take care of it. So, Father, if we're not convinced of that, if we're operating in unbelief today, convict our hearts by the power of the Spirit. I pray it, God, and bring us to an understanding of this amazing salvation we have. We did nothing for, we cannot earn, but that you give freely. It's in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen.